The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to episode 101 of the Data Reaper podcast. I'm your host, Ridiculous Hat, and I am joined by the ace Zach Attorney. Zach, how you doing? How you doing, Hat? Doing okay. Doing all right. This is the first podcast of the post-patch, the 24.2.2 patch, where Guff has finally been nerfed along with a bunch of other stuff, and uh, we have some early impressions. This is before the report. This is recording on uh, early in the morning on Monday morning for me and uh, in America, uh, and you'll hear this probably on Tuesday, and it'll be a couple days before we run our first report. So we should expect the first report on. I think we can do it this week, right? The fifteenth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we we still like it's it's gonna be less data than normal because it's just four days, but we're getting more than enough data to to compile a a pretty comprehensive report. And I'm already seeing a lot of things that are worth uh, discussing in the report. But for now, we'll give you a preview, uh, picture of of what's happening and things are happening. The meta is very different after the balance changes. I think we should go over the balance changes because we haven't really. Oh yeah. Um, they were because they yeah, were we announced and implemented on Friday because of the American yeah. Labor Day holiday. Pretty crazy. Before we do that, though, I'm gonna go over something even more yeah. important, Zach. I want to go over our winners of the VS100 bundle giveaway. Codes have been sent out already. We got a ton of tweets. Thank you so much, everyone, for engaging. Um, the winners are Bruno IX. Ground Rule SEV2 and Pigpen. Also, a uh, shout out to Samsey's Ghost. He actually won one of the first codes, but said, I already have my bundle. Go ahead and pass it on to the next uh, next person. He just wanted to join the conversation. So thanks for that, Sam. And so uh, Bruno, Ground Rule, and Pigpen, congratulations on your bundles. And remember, we asked your favorite Hearthstone expansion. I actually went through the tweets and filtered based on keywords. And I have our top three, Zach. Are you ready? Okay. I actually have no idea. So, first time I'm going to hear it. The third most popular expansion that we got tweeted at with 42 responses was United in Stormwind. Wow. I did not expect that. People like quests. Yep. That is very interesting. I wonder if this is selective because of... uh, Because it's our show. Because of the podcast population. Yeah. I I would not be surprised because anyone that didn't like Stormwind just stopped listening to our show. (laughs) Got pissed off. This Zacko, what is he talking about? He's so out of touch. I'm not listening to this podcast anymore. Maybe that's the case. I like Quest 2. I like Quest Shaman. I played a lot of Quest No, no, but to be honest, it... It actually makes sense that Stormwind would be so popular, or at least it would be people's a lot of people' favorite expansion, because uh, yeah, I remember Ixar talking about how people either loved it or hated it. Yeah, it got a lot of favorite or least favorite expansion responses, so it makes sense that we get the the top end of the outliers there. Y- yeah, it was a polarizing expansion in terms of player opinion. So if people, if if you ask what what's your favorite expansion it makes sense that there would be a significant population that would say Stormwind is my favorite expansion yes people like quests this is why they keep doing it this is why they keep making quests guys because a lot of people find them fun and interesting uh so yeah that's the third okay let's yep. go to the second what's number this? two second most popular saviors of old doom not surprised 
awesome trailer. Probably one of the best of all time. Um, the fun characterization. I guess people don't think about the Dooms, uh, Doom in a Tomb event, but when you look at the um, expansion by itself, then, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. Also, Zephyrus, Highlander support. I don't like Highlander decks, but I can recognize that a lot of people do. So it would make sense why uh, a lot of people like that expansion. And number one, number one is what I thought it was going to be. Um, number one. Skull, Skullman's? Nope. Knights of the Frozen Throne. Oh, okay. Knights of the Frozen Throne. Okay, that also makes... So the funny thing about Knights of the Frozen Throne is that the first month of that expansion was unbearable. <laughs> In terms of balance... The meta was not great on launch, and we were just coming off on Gora, which is one of the most balanced and diverse metas in Hearthstone history, but the theming here does so much work. It was the first set with hero cards. People really identified with it, connected with it. It brought a ton of people into the game, and I believe was Hearthstone's most financially successful set. Yes, I think that was peak Hearthstone in terms of... Um, Engagement, I guess. Visibility. I think it probably peaked in terms of number of players. There are yeah. a lot of metrics that indicate that uh, uh, Knights of the Frozen Throne was the most successful expansion. It was extremely hype. By the way, coincidence, I believe that the trailers for Old Doom and Knights of the Frozen Throne are top two trailers, Hearthstone trailers of all time. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, so, guy, uh, Team 5, the message is just make awesome trailers and the expansion is guaranteed to be a success. There you go. Also, as a bonus trivia fact, there is one release that was not mentioned by anybody. There is only one single card release that was not anyone's favorite. Not anyone's favorite. Grand Tournament? That was by one person. One person said TGT. One person said TGT. But there, there is an expansion that nobody mentioned. Uh, Karazhan? Correct. No one said one oh, in Karazhan. We had someone I for Blackrock. We had someone for TGT. We had some, and we had a bunch of people, a surprising number of people for Rastakhan's Rumble because they remembered particular moments in that expansion. Um, probably a recency thing to some extent. That was, ah, second guess. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. TGT was what I thought to, uh, thought first too. I searched for BRM. I found someone for BRM. Um, but yeah, the only one that wasn't mentioned at all was Karazhan. Because it wasn't mem it wasn't memorable. Even if you like Shaman, it was too much. It's too much of a good thing. No, it, 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 it wasn't even about Shaman uh, specifically. It was just that it felt like a continuation of Whispers. Like, it didn't feel like its own, um, its own expansion. It was an adventure, but you know what I mean. It, it didn't feel like its own meta. It was, it felt like a continuation of shaman druid of uh of whispers into maybe more shaman it's i remember spirit claws pretty specifically as its own meta but it wasn't any good memory there that's not a good memory yeah but it was it, again it wasn't memorable knights of the frozen throne arguably first month i remember how many complaints uh knights of the frozen throne in the first month uh like the Reddit, Hearthstone Reddit, had so many complaints. Oh, it was unusable. Yeah, the player base was insanely high, right? So that that like social me like social media in general 
when it comes to Hearthstone back then, was extremely active because the player, I think, I think the game peaked. Uh, but you know, the meta in the first month was pretty terrible. We had uh, Jadruid. Jadruid was one of the most overpowered decks of all time. I have a friend who got Legend by cutting five mana Spreading Plague because they only played Mirrors. So they just cut Spreading Plague. Yeah, so like the thing is about that is that Jadruid was gearing up to have its worst matchup be the Mirror. Like, it was just so oppressively broken. And it lasted for a month. It wasn't like, back then, they didn't nerf very quickly. Uh, it, it wasn't like, oh, you have an oppressive deck, they just nerf it uh, one week or two weeks in. No, we suffered through that for a month. Yeah, it was, it was uh, I think, five or six weeks. It got nerfed in September 18th. So they had to nerf. They nerfed uh, Innervate, Fiery War Axe, Hex, Spreading Plague, and Murloc Warleader. Hex and Warleader just kind of came out of nowhere here. No, Warleader was, no, Murloc Paladin was one of the best oh, decks. Oh, right, I uh, remember. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. Was, there was, there was, it was basically, you, you either played Jadrid, or you played a hyper-aggro deck that could snowball even before Plague mattered. So, like, Pyre Warrior, uh, Murloc Paladin, and Aggro Druid, a token Druid. Oh, yeah, Innervate, uh, Innervate Flappy Bird. Yeah, Flappy, uh, Vicious uh, Fledgling. So you, you basically, uh, you just try to rush down the Druid. And even those decks, those matchup, like Token Druid's matchup, the Aggro Druid deck, <laughs> think about it right now, had a 50-50 matchup against J-Druid. The ramping, right? Increment, uh, incremental value deck. It'd be like if today's aggro druid against today's ramp druid was 50-50. Yes, think about the matchup right now between aggro druid and ramp druid. And J druid was so powerful that even board flood with like insane snowballing. And savage roar. Savage roar was legal yeah. too. Nowhere near enough. <laughs> yes. No renathal. Savage roar was in the format 50-50. Yeah. Kind of crazy. It's kind of insane when you think about it. But yeah, so the meta in the first month wasn't wasn't good. Though the meta, I will say, the meta afterwards was one of my favorite metas. Um, with you know Raza Priest, uh, uh, Tempo Rogue, Kelseth. the Kelseth Tempo I, I Rogue. <laughs> Back then we called it Tempo Rogue, but or no, Fungal Master wasn't out yet. It was Bone Mare. It was the Bone Mare deck. Yeah, it was. Uh, there were a lot of bone mirror decks back then. <laughs> Lots oh, yeah, of people played right. bone mirror because the card was busted. There were like there was also some sort of a a neutral flex tape. Like there was a scalebane, cobalt scalebane. Ah, uh, you may know that from Hearthstone Battlegrounds. Fungomancer, no, Fungomancer came in, in uh, the expansion after in yeah. KNC. That was an expansion later. But yeah, that, but but there was Big Dread, one of my favorite decks. Oh, easy, big, easy, druid, easy. Yes, yes. When everybody went crazy over Big Druid, after J Druid was nerfed, right? Uh, big Druid started to pop up, and it was very good. It was a tier one deck. Um, it was one of the best decks, and I, I played a lot of Big Druid because I really enjoyed that. I also played Rogue. Basically, that expansion, the three decks that were like super popular, Raza Priest, Kaliseth Rogue, and Big Druid, are all decks that I enjoyed playing. Uh, and I think a lot of people really like those decks. So even though, I, I don't want to say the meta was super diverse, it's just that the decks back then were really fun. Um, 
so I think that's why people and you know Death Knights, uh, the, the first hero cards. That was a very memorable thing. Even though the the hero cards back then are not as powerful as the hero cards are right now. Like it was first iteration, they took less risks risks when it comes to design. They didn't balance every two weeks or something like that. So, so yeah. But Knights of the Throne, not surprised at all. That was super popular. Yeah. I maintain that under current balance philosophy that uh, Blood Reaver Gul'dan would have gotten nerfed. That card was like, is super good to this day. I mean, uh, just that in uh, Malfurion, the Pestilent as well. Uh, there yeah. were powerful hero cards back then. Uh, uh, Frostless, Jaina, uh, but... They were uneven. They were uneven and narrower in a lot of ways. If Knights of the Fro- Frozen Throne was released now... I think it would be the the reception would be very different uh, because back then Knights of the Throne was enthralled like the hero cards the idea of the hero cards was like groundbreaking right it was the first time first exposure to that it, things were like new but but obviously I mean Kaliseth Shadowstep uh, Raza Priest uh, and Jadruid being super busted I mean that's not exactly something that would be received super well but it was memorable this is so- something that that's important to understand it's important for expansions to be memorable you'd rather have an expansion that had intense positive and negative reactions rather than an expansion where everyone is like apathetic right you'd rather have a Stormwind than a Karazhan exactly so Stormwind when you look back when you think back to it and I'm not even saying it as someone who's like advocates for Quest or like I'm in love with Quest. No, I'm not even that. But I am, but I am an advocate for making things that are memorable. I would rather be pissed off than bored. Like when you are bored, when you're playing Hearthstone, you're bored. That's more dangerous for the game than if I play the game and I get pissed off by something. You'd rather piss me off than bore me. And that's the the point where I'm making about Stormwind. When people look back, a lot of people say, oh, that was the worst expansion, and that was when the game died, or some nonsense like that. No, Stormwind was a successful expansion. Much more successful for me, even when I look at it objectively based on the reaction, than Sunken City. For me, Sunken City was not a good expansion. Because when you look back, like a year from now, two years from now, are you even going to remember what you played in Sunken City? I'm not even sure. It's not memorable. While Stormwind, everybody can look back and said, oh, that was the expansion with the quest lines and the, you know, you know what I mean. But yeah, yeah, like that was the expansion with the super, like the combo decks and, and uh, the high lethality and the quest lines. And mostly people are going to think about the quest lines, right? But those were memorable cards that people either loved and some of them hated. But they remembered. They cared about that expansion. Yep. Um, That's why I think so, my so the, like my personal opinion is that the worst expansion they've ever put out was Witchwood, because the only thing that was powerful in that expansion was so format defining for an entire year that it choked out any other interesting thing from happening. It made the same thing happen every game. I don't agree. I'm sure you have your own favorites, not favorites. No, I don't think that it was. I I don't think you can say that it was there was expansion. Can you? Ooh, I, I mean, is it is it worse than Rosticon? Is it worse than I TGT? think so? I think it was worse than any of those really? in terms of impact to the game because Witchwood was one incredibly powerful package of cards that defined a format 
for a year to the point of making people bored, like you said, and the rest of that expansion is terrible. It's really, really is bad it? in terms of average card quality. I've gone through that file many times. I think if Rastacons came out first and Witchwood came out third that year, we'd think about Rastacons very differently. Hmm. But but Hadronox, there was some stuff there. There was some stuff in every expansion. Every expansion has had something, but Witchwood had the only thing that mattered in that set mattered too much. It made the game worse in a major way. But the metas in Witchwood were not too bad. I mean, you had like uh, you had no. Cube Warlock, Even Paladin, uh, Mind Blast, Control. Right, they Priest, had to nerf the K and C cards because the K and C cards were better than anything they printed that entire year, except for like the Boom Hero. But the Witchwood meta was fine, except for the fact that it lasted for twelve months. I don't know if you can say that it lasted for twelve months. I mean, things were a little bit di- like the, w- what happened after was it Boomsday, Boomsday, and then Rastacons. I mean, I can't hate Witchwood. There was Quest Rogue hat. I can't hate that expansion. Quest Rogue came out a year before. No, 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 no. It was the 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 new Quest Rogue with Vicious Scalehide. That was a very different Quest Rogue. You're you're really ingratiating yourself to this expansion by saying the Quest Rogue that was harder to kill and one more. Hmm. Yes, because that was the quest work I actually liked playing. But no, but point it the meta in Witchwood was actually pretty diverse. You look at the second like the second half of Witchwood, that was a pretty successful and it wasn't like Gen and Baku back then were not like overwhelming. People weren't sick of them yet. I would say it's a bit unfair to knock Witchwood just because of Gen and Baku. There were two cards in that expansion and they didn't really they weren't that overwhelming. When it comes to it, it wasn't like every deck was Ganon Baku. No, nowhere near close. It wasn't like that. It was just that Ganon Baku were cards that you probably should have printed in the last expansion of the year rather than the first. That was the mistake. But if you look through that card file, man, I'm going to tell you, there are a lot of really, really rough cards in that set. I think it is like, it's pretty poor quality. I can't say that which would could be up for being worse expansion at least in my eyes just because they printed two cards that they should have printed two sets later i think the other cards are pretty terrible like it's i'm not saying this just because of those two cards i'm saying i think the set is so bad except for the thing that was too good to the point of being bad for the game yes but the meta that resulted from witchwood was actually pretty solid I would yeah. say both the first half and the second half. I mean, even Paladin was and, and, and Cube Warlock were pretty powerful in the first half as well as Quest Rogue. But after that, they nerfed a bunch of stuff. There was there was a pretty diverse format. I actually remember even saying back then that the second half of Witchwood was was pretty good, was one of the better metas that we've seen uh, up until then. It was interesting even up until the last couple of weeks as well, because there was actually a rule change back then with Azalina where they changed how the yeah, card yeah, functioned. Yeah. And, uh, like, because it used to be that if you copy cards from your opponent's hand, they dropped all enchantments, they let you keep them, which actually changed the meta up until the last two weeks of playing it. It was fascinating. Yeah, so when you look at Witchwood, you compare it hat to, like, things like Rastakhan, things like Karazhan. I'm not saying like worse meta, Tournament. I'm saying worse set. That's not the same thing. Oh, worse set. Okay, the, I, I kind of... Because the question is, what is the worst expansion? Like, we, we were talking about what is the worst expansion. Well, that's the worst I can't set. That's not that the worst meta. A set and a meta are not the same thing. I guess, but but again, I'm talking about worst expansion. What's the worst expansion? For me, the worst set, even worse set, 
even you can argue that it's the worst set. I I don't know. I think Rastakan is probably a worse set because um because yeah. No, for me the worst set is actually no no actually for I, I, I'm gonna walk that back. Worst set for me that I've ever made is GVG. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nowhere near close. Nothing is even close. GVG was the worst set. Like some of the cards that they would have they, they released in GVG, if they released them right now, the the reaction they didn't would know be what they were disgust. doing back then. I was doing a project. I was working with someone on this on looking over how much RNG was in each set. And I'm going to read you the comment. I summarized each set in a comment sealed. I'm going to read you the comment for GVG. My exact quote is, what a goddamn train wreck. This set was a nightmare of RNG. <laughs> there would be... <laughs> like, like, think about this set, and people are thinking, like complaining about Theotar and something like that. I think GVG had like 20 plus cards. Where if they were released now, people, the people would say, that complain what about the Theotar now this? have never top decked their a flame Leviathan and blown up their own board. <laughs> no, forget about Flame Leviathan didn't see sometimes play. Nobody you had gave arena. a damn about sometimes that Sometimes you did that. Yeah, Implosion, Implosion. Enhanso Meccano, uh, Crackle, Recombobulator. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. You would like in priest. You would you would sh- cabal shadow priest recombobulator. It was uh, th- that entire expansion was just so random. And Doctor Boom was released. And Doctor Boom back then was unstable stupid. portal. There was and nothing really like Shredder. it at the time. Unstable Tobro was awful, awful, awful. This card would like imagine like if, if it was released now. I'm not sure if it's good enough, but back then it was good enough and it was. Yeah, extremely annoying to to play Blink against. Tron and there were all sorts of like, Blink. It and that did. car actually saw play, and that was like you could get like a the smallest weapon or like Gorhal, like that. Yeah, it, it was definitely. I, I think GVG was awful, but it's good that it was awful. Like, if that's the worst thing that they could have made, then that's good because that's the first expansion that they made. And they had this philosophy of like, yeah, random, fun. Let's. <laughs> that was like <laughs> a baby waking up for the first time and just, uh, you know, staring at the first thing uh, that it sees and is like uh, awed by uh, whatever came. And it didn't matter what. And back then it was it was just, yeah. just utter randomness. It's the early days, it's uh, not yeah, really that, fair that because they didn't awful. know what they were doing yet. And like, it's these are... These are objectively yes. not good designs, and the designers would tell you, yeah, we didn't know what we were doing. But if they put GVG out today, like people would just uninstall and not look back. Yeah, it would be it would be so funny. Uh but yeah. So point is, guys, when you think about expansions and how successful they are, uh you you look like uh Stormwind and Knights of the Frozen Throne, even though a lot of people would say Oh, those metas were horrible or whatever. Um, fact is, they were memorable expansions. And that's the most important thing. And that was why, uh, for me, expansions like Barons and Sunken City are far more likely to make players quit than an expansion like Stormwind. Even though you would hear more people swearing off the game uh, back in Stormwind, uh, I think that at, at least it made 
those players care about the game. And I don't think that the amount of people that quit, supposedly quit that game, actually quit the game. Most of them came back uh, very soon after because the game at, yep. le- at least And we had a care. few people that answered, by the way, a few people that answered Barons and Nath- and, uh, and Sunken City and even Nathria. So, you know. Of course. There's something there for everyone. I'm, uh, I mean, of course. You ask uh, hundreds of people what their phase of expansion is, everything would be... But but compare the reaction to expansions. I think it's fair to say objectively that something like Stormwind just generated far more yep. reaction. But what than I will say, like Barons, one of my right? favorite things looking at these responses, um, some of the people that said Sunken City or Nathur or whatever, it's because they just started playing the game. And I'm really really happy to hear that people are picking up the oh. game. That these expansions are making memories for people the way that we remember the old things because we're old timers, and that new players are finding our podcast. So people that uh, you started playing this year and you answered our, our tweets and all that, we see you, we hear you. We're so, so glad that you picked up the game and that you're listening to the show. Yeah, that's really cool. That is cool. I am actually a bit surprised that we have a significant amount of people who are new to the game and already picked up the podcast. That's great. But uh, Speaking of which, we should probably tell them what they want to hear, which is uh, what do we do now? So why don't we start with what most people are doing right now, the most popular class, which is Demon Hunter. Yes, we're now going into the meta overview and... uh, No, wait, we didn't talk about the patches. We didn't talk about the patch. We're going to do that, but then we get distracted walking down memory lane because we're old. Okay, so... Yeah, we're just boomers. Guff, empty mana crystal instead of full for both Battlecry and the hero power. I played against a Guff today. That card is visibly worse. It is so much worse. Played against Guff on 5 into Scales on 7, and it is visible. Yeah, we'll talk about how good Guff is now, but uh, after, when we get to Druid. But but yeah, that that's the, the change that they should have made. Rogue, Edwin, he went back. Back to a 4-mana 4-4. Yeah. Yeah, that was coming. Mage... The hero power only does plus one damage instead of plus two, and Nightcloak Sanctum loses a durability. Again, pretty easy to see these coming. Yeah, also what I suggested, though, again, I'm not taking credit because lots of people suggested those exact changes. So yeah, I didn't a lot of these them. changes were in the most recent Kibler video. Like, if you've played the game enough and, and seen how these uh, decks behave, you would uh, come to the conclusion of what needs to be corrected in those decks. So Major wasn't hard to figure it out. Also, they proactively nerfed the first stage of the Hunter quest. Uh, the exact dev comment here, Quest Hunter is a frustrating deck to play against and was poised to be a powerful meta contender after the changes to other classes. This change is both to address the deck's current state and anticipated relative power level after this patch. They added one step to the first phase of the quest. So it takes three spells to, to tick the first phase. This is the, the this is the change that I feared they wouldn't make, but they went and did it, and I'm very happy that they did that specific change. I'm really glad they did. I've played against Quest Hunters. Uh, if that deck was at its prior power level, I think a lot of people would be a lot less happy today than they are now. Yeah, um, that change was very, very necessary, and I'm very happy that they saw that. Because I, I like you heard me had in the f- previous weeks that I was I was absolutely terrified of the prospect of a unearthed quest hunter into uh, a, a, you know playing into this format uh, after all the nerfs. So they made the preemptive change and it was very important. We'll talk about hunter later and what's where where quest hunter specifically is at. 
then we have Kalefoss. Went from six to eight, so you can no longer brand Kale Denathrius. Yeah. So they basically what they decided is we're not going to touch Denathrius because for us it's the cornerstone exp- uh, legendary of this expansion. Also, we don't want to nerf Shaman further, right? Because Shaman needs Denathrius. So they went and decided we're going to just delete Kalthus from the game. They basically deleted Kalthus. And they decided the upside of just deleting this card is is bigger than start to uh, tamper with Bran and Denathrius, which have more interesting applications by themselves, right? Compared to Kalthus, which has this one application mostly. It's just using for the Bran combo. And it's not very interesting otherwise. So they decided to delete that, which was fair enough. Uh, this card is evil. I see a lot of people talking about Bran as though he is some historical balance outlier. I cannot remember a time where he was ever historical balance outlier. Fun card. It's a fun card that's also played when in decks where it's not even good and people are very tempted to immediately slot Bran into decks. And for me, that means that it's a fun card uh, so that people really like playing. So I don't want to nerf cards that aren't uh, outliers, power outliers, and then people overplay them because they're fun, right? Um, so Bran is fine. Yes. Smothering Starfish, three mana to four mana. Okay. Yeah, this this change was significant. I actually, you know, I, I looked at, you know, card popularity, how popular cards were before the balance changes. And Starfish is up there, right? We talked about it last week as well. Starfish was up there, and it's not a card that I am surprised that they nerfed. Um, like, a deck like Enrage Warrior would definitely appreciate such a nerf. It, it was just like, it was so easy to just slot it in, especially in Renathal decks, and it's a card that's like an anti-fun bad luck albatross you just threw it in because i would say it was even more powerful than bad luck albatross uh, bad, Al- Al- bad luck albatross wasn't even that good uh it, it was slot in because it was like low-hanging fruit but starfish is genuinely powerful in the decks that it was played in so if like Druid runs like two copies of starfish and it's not a mistake it's not even an error to make that then that's a bit of a problem right because if you're if you're making any deck that's about buffs or about fun static effects, and you just get inadvertently wrecked by Starfish, then that's not good. Also, they nerfed Snowfall already. They nerfed Mage uh, Freeze effects as well with the nerf to location. So you can nerf Starfall at this point. It's no longer like an anti-freeze tech card. Yes, I'm glad they nerfed it. It makes all the things that I like doing less fun when yes. starfish is around yes. so i'm I know glad hat. they got rid of most of it I, um i you know, know, I know, and what, you you know like. what makes the things that i like doing more fun is when they buff school teacher back to a 4-4 which they yeah. did i think that was the nerf that should have happened before uh as a 5-4 it did like it, it just had too much pressure right right uh like as a value card yeah, they said in the patch notes when they nerfed School Teacher the first time, it was the most played card in the game. Yeah, yeah, I didn't it was. Know that. And now it's heading there <laughs> to be one of the most played. But I think it, its power level is now very reasonable. Uh, back when it was a four, five, four, it, it just pressured you and gave you value. So it still needs to be a card where you play it, you lose some initiative with the board. You're developing a smaller body, but it, the card is. Not only is it fun, it's also different from every class. Like every class that plays it, it's different because you discover 
spells from that class. So that Nagaling, that little Nagaling, is a very it feels very different when you play it against different classes. Like in Warrior, it's gonna give you armor, but in in another class, it's gonna do something very very different. So it, it's it's not only is it satisfying to play, has cool flavor, it's also di- a neutral that looks different and acts different and plays out differently in different classes. So I think that it's one of the best design cards that they've made definitely in the, over the last few years and nerfing it too hard, like a 4-3, the, fr- the body is too fragile. It's just too easy to remove. To play it for 4 mana was just too much, right? Um, so I really like that they made that change and they reverted that, that nerf. And they also reverted another nerf. Alliance Bannerman, back to a 2-2. Let's go. Zach, I know you... Just like I did, queued up Paladin the second you saw this go live. <laughs> oh, of course. Yes. The moment I saw that revealed, it was time for Banana Man. I will say, I did play a game of Pure Paladin today. I did win the game. I fatigued a mage that burned their own Mordrish. 100% win rate. Dak is busted, Hat. Game took too long. Deleted it, but yeah, they kind of they kind of also immediately said why they were buffing Bannerman, uh, and they said, okay, we're not under the illusion that this is the buff that's gonna make Paladin viable because it needs more help than that. But we were looking for like an easy change to make that's going to help the class, maybe set that class up for success later down the road. Makes sense. Uh, Bannerman was nerfed in a time where Paladin was uh, really really powerful. It was. Uh, and now maybe it doesn't make as much sense to keep it so weak when Paladin is uh, desperate for something, for anything. So those are the changes. The biggest change is the one that didn't happen this patch is a nerf to Theotar. That's why they ended up skipping on. The most popular card in the format dodged the bullet. Uh, their reasoning is that they weren't sure what was going to happen to the format if they changed the otar they wanted to go for high confidence changes which uh feels like uh they wanted to go safe uh and make changes that they knew were uh, certain upsides to the game personally i don't di- I agree with that notion i think that the otar could have been nudged even a little bit like there was very little to lose when you make like even a change like five mana four four which is like the most gentle nudge possible in order to push that card's cost and make it more of a decision to include in decks because right now it's he's playing over 50% decks in the format. Something like, it's it's crazy. It's super, and I definitely do not expect this card to stay unnerfed uh, for long. Uh, it's probably going to be nerfed in the next balance patch. Yeah, uh, Aleko talked about it, said that uh, they weren't high confidence what the meta would look like if they changed Theo, especially with all the other changes. Uh, and... Uh, they're hitting a number of cards that Theo is being played to counter. There's a chance he goes down and win rate and play rate naturally. If he doesn't, he'll definitely be a card we discuss again next patch window. So what this tells me, I'm translating, and it says, we didn't nerf Denathria, so we're leaving this alone because we need a safety valve. I get it. Uh, I, I'm not even sure, like... The, the, the thing is, they it, it is true that Theotar is used as a counter to very powerful cards, the problem with Theodore is that it counters every deck that relies on some sort of synergy. Because if you disrupt that synergy, like you're playing Relic DH, if if you if you get 
play Theotar played against you and you take Relic of Dimensions, it is just backbreaking. It's basically it basically does the same thing. You basically just took away a hero card in terms of impact because every deck is synergy best. If you disrupt that synergy, if you disrupt one key piece, then all the parts also can also crumble. So Theotar, for like the, the, considering the cost of the card, uh, it's just too easy of an inclusion in every deck that looks to play the game beyond turn six, which is what's happening. Uh, and not only is it powerful, Enough to be in every deck, basically, and not be a liability, because it isn't. Uh, the perception of the card at this point is out of control. Even if the card, let's say there's a theoretical deck where the card is not good at, right? Even in that deck, it will continue to see play just because of the temptation to just win the game on the spot with Theotar. I have, I can't remember a time where I lost to a singular card more than Theotar over the past month. Like, that card ends games so much. And even though sometimes the card doesn't end the game, like, every time it ends the game, it is memorable. It stays in your mind. And it's also stupid that the fact that you have a neutral card that you can play in every deck that can end games on the spot or just make you concede. Even if the game isn't over, just makes you want to concede. Makes you want to just leave the game. Because you want to be able to play with your cards. I have I have a card that I know you lost to more than this one, and it's not going to be a comparison that makes you feel any better. It is a pre-nerf Iron Deep truck. Yeah, like it's just like it's so overwhelming. It's also overwhelming in the decision making of every game. Like every game, every turn, from turn four, I think about what happens if they Theotar me right now. Can I play around Theotar? And the fact that I need to ask this question in every matchup, no matter which deck I'm playing, no matter which deck my opponent is playing, I think is a problem. When I'm playing a game and I'm playing a certain matchup, you want to think about the strategic gameplay experience of that matchup. Like, okay, my strategy is I need to do this A, B, and C, and my opponent needs to do A, B, and C as well. I need to stop whatever they're doing. But now you have Theotar, which is its own win condition that's in every deck. And I need to think about whether uh, uh, my hand is a, a bad Theotar hand or a good Theotar hand. Or if I mulligan, in the mulligan, after the mulligan, I have my key card in my opening hand and I'm upset. I started to become upset when I have my key card in my hand because I know oh, I'm not going to get to play this card this game. Boy, our experiences are pretty different. It's, my man, you gotta lower your curve. You gotta lower that curve. If you dispose the evidence, Theotar can't find it. Yes, yeah, I know that. But that 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 is the problem. A card that makes you like feel like you're forced to play aggro decks that don't care and just vomit their hand. It doesn't make me. It lets me. L- lets you, sure, lets you. But I, this kind of, like... You have to think, Hat, that there are people who don't want to play only aggressive decks in order to avoid getting Theotard and feeling bad about it. Uh, Every deck that has synergies and looks to have some late-game synergy um, needs to consider Theotard in the format. It needs to think about Theotard every turn. Like every yeah. like I'm not even overestimating. You look, you go watch streamers. Go watch top-level streamers, right? 
This is their decision-making. Their first decision-making branch is, what happens if my opponent Theotars me now? Oh, yeah, it's a real thing. It's everywhere. I know I'm being glib about it, but it's a real thing that people are talking about more than any other card in the format. It's distinctive. It's notable. It's it's Lucia-esque in terms of sentiment. I cannot imagine this card surviving in its current form for more than a month. It's the I'm anticipating the mini set coming the last week of September, and I am anticipating a balance patch two weeks after that. And I bet that Theotar goes to five mana at least during that patch. Yeah, for me, that's too long. I think that you could have made Theotar even five mana four four, just push it a little bit, do something, and it wouldn't be a low confidence change. Uh, so, so yeah, that for me is is the thing that bothers me the most about this balance patch. But this balance patch also did a lot of good. Uh, we're focusing on uh, on a negative here. You're focusing on the negative. Man, I have had so many games where my opponent plays Theotar and looks at my two cards and then concedes. Oh, I cannot tell you how good that feels. Okay, a lot of decks that had likes got better this patch. You'll find out what they are, but but yeah. Yeah, you're not going to stop me from speaking up. Yeah. Most popular... Yeah. Mo- mo- <laughs> most popular... I-, I have clarified that Hat really enjoys the format right now. Uh... Demon Hunter, most popular class at Legend, not overall ladder. That's still Druid, by the way. But uh, it, it's worth a start to, uh, to start this discussion on Demon Hunter because Relic Demon Hunter has popped up high popularity, um, over 10% of the for, uh, of play rate throughout ladder. Uh, at Legend, it's, it's over 15%. Deck is very, very popular. Popularized by multiple streamers, Fino, uh, one of them, um, uh, you know, popular is one of the most popular builds of, of that archetype. Deck looks a lot better. Demon Hunter is now competitive. Um, now real competitive. Now, I wouldn't say that Relic DH is the best deck or the second best deck. No, its win rate is actually uh, quite average. It looks like tier 2-ish, kind of. Um, it's fine. It's a very reasonable deck. Yeah, it's fine. There's nothing uh, particularly offensive about it. There's nothing particularly weak about it. The deck is fine, competitive. You can play it, have success with it, have a lot of fun with it. Seems very healthy. Play patterns is, are seem good. Everything seems fine. Really, a deck is completely inoffensive. Um, you know, people are mostly dropping at this point they're dropping the death Rattle package we're not seeing like black thorn brazer board that kind of stuff is gone we're mostly seeing more focus on value rather than initiative you're looking at venomous scorpid being a popular inclusion um like flanking maneuver in order to for like some comeback mechanics alongside topple the idol topple the idol gives you that big board clear to, to allow you gives you some comeback potential because otherwise demon hunter doesn't really have aoe doesn't have great aoe cards and of course you run the relic package not in a renathal build you don't run renathal in this archetype you want to be able to draw your relics if you dilute your deck with renathal that means you're seeing your relics less often and um considering the scaling of the relics is the whole point of the deck you definitely don't want to do that. So Demon Hunter is not Relic Demon Hunter is not a deck that you want to run Renathal in. I know that Bly's had a supposedly successful uh Renathal build of uh Relic Demon Hunter in some one tournament or whatever, and he did well on ladder, but that's Bly's. Uh it wasn't good then, and it's not good now. He also drew really well. 
but it's listen they nerfed quest hunter you don't need renathal here you're fine it's not because of quest hunter but but it, it, it has it, it's really nothing to do with matchups here when it comes to relic dh you don't want to run renathal because you want to draw your relics you you don't want to draw your relic vault right play it and then three turns later only draw your next relic because you're deleting your deck with renathal it, it makes no sense so there are all sorts of iterations. Personally, I'm not convinced by some of the card choices, things like Chaos Strike. Like, this is a card that just randomly pops in there as some sort of filler. I'm not convinced that there, there isn't a better card in that spot. There are, like, five cards there that I'm... Like, the Alexstrasza feels strange. Um, like, yeah, I get it. The brand combo with Dimensions, you get discounts, but that's not very reliable. I'm pretty sure there are, like, five cards you can improve on. Like there's like five slots that you can improve with this deck. Uh, we'll see what kind of uh, cards uh, when when I, I work on deck refining for the report tomorrow, and uh, the supporters, the VS supporters, uh, will be able to see that. We'll see what I ended up on. One of the funnier cards I'll mention it had one of the funnier inclusions that I started to see. I'm not sure if it's good, guys. I don't know. I'm just giving you a fun suggestion. Is run ambassador failing? He told me he wasn't going to say this on the air, it's, but I'm saying it because it's kind of it's it's inter- because I want to see more data on it. Honestly, the the reason why Phelan makes sense in this deck, at least theoretically, is that it makes your topple the idol much better, right? Topple the idol. Sometimes you play topple the idol, you get a bunch of two cost cards or three cost cards. It's not a huge AOE. If you play Phelan, then your topple the idol is guaranteed to be a big hit, right? Because you're getting colossals. So Topple the Idol becomes Dredge a Colossal, which is pretty good, right? Especially if you draw a Colossal turn 6, turn 7. Deal massive damage to the board, right? Basically a board clear because Colossals are expensive. Uh, Yeah, that seems like a powerful effect. Obviously, you're playing the Chill Win Yeti, which is the sus part. Uh, But it's an interesting card. Uh, If you have a slot and you don't know what to do, run fail and see what happens. Maybe I'll get more data on it. And I'll figure out if it's good or not. Uh, but yeah, there's there's definitely room for experimentation in this archetype. But it's good. It's reasonable. This is a tier 2-ish deck. This is not best deck in the game or anything like that. But it's good. It's a fine deck. But Zach, do we have any other Demon Hunter decks to play? Because I think we Biblio might not be done. Hmm, yes. Uh, uh, thank you for asking, Hat. I do wonder where that curiosity comes from. I wonder if you've been playing a different Demon Hunter deck and having success with it recently. Because Agro Demon Hunter, which plays a lot of one-drops, which seems to suit Hat's taste, looks very good for the first time. Agro DH with Bibliomite and, and uh, Magnifying Glaive and all that stuff looks like a very good deck. How good? It might be better than Relic Demon Hunter. It might be the better Demon Hunter deck. Its matchup spread looks really impressive. Um, obviously, it's going to get countered by things, but it looks good. Its win rate looks positive throughout ladder. It doesn't see too much play, but it sees enough play to confidently say that. And Agro DH is, uh, is going to be meta. This is uh, my impression based on its current performance. It is my impression based on picking up a list I found on Twitter and going 7-0. Yeah, it, it seems good. So if you've been looking forward to playing that low-curve 
bibliomite, dispose of evidence, right? Crixus kind of uh, build, then this is uh, this is the time to do it because now this deck is actually good uh, compared to the dumpster tier trash that it was before. Uh, that's it for Demon Hunter. So it has two viable archetypes now, not just one, two. Uh, other things, quest. No, no. I know Sathino, Abusive Sergeant. No, that's not it. It's not it. Uh, but but yeah, Demon Hunter is now very competitive, very viable. It's uh, it's back. It's definitely and back. highly played. It's very clear people wanted this to be good and got their wish. Yeah, they wanted relics to be good. Uh, they were interested in playing relics. Uh, we'll see how interested they become in Agri DH once uh, people figure out that it's uh, it's a very good deck right now. Okay, so second most popular class at Legend is Druid. Druid is still pretty popular. A Ram Druid is is very popular. Agri Druid is popular. I would say their popularity is now like a line. Uh, uh, they have they have similar play rates now. Ram Druid is no longer like the 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 most popular deck in the format or something by by some clear margin. It's still very highly played, but it declined. It also declined in its performance. It is uh, much worse than it was before. How worse is it? This is uh, this is an interesting question because Ramdruid is a deck that currently looks tier three, but I have reasons to believe that it can possibly adjust to the Guff nerf, and you know potentially recover in its performance to be closer to the 50% mark. We've seen this before. When people are playing decks where it's always the exact old list right after nerfs, it very rarely keeps the same level of performance and just needs some refinement to get anywhere. But yeah, I agree. I agree that this probably isn't going to be the format-defining deck. It's not, yeah, it's not going to be about cutting guff, no. But maybe no. the fact that you can't ramp as quickly changes the way that this deck is built. Maybe this deck doesn't need to be, needs to be less greedy now in order to be able to contest, like, things that it beat before. Like, before the patch, it used to beat Relic Demon Hunter. A deck like Relic Demon Hunter, it used to eat it for lunch. Uh, but now it kind of loses to Relic Demon Under, so maybe it needs to make some sort of adjustment. Also, you have to remember that it didn't just get the Guff nerf, it also got the Starfish nerf. Starfish is a significant nerf to Druid, because Druid was the class that utilized Starfish the most. Yeah, very often, like, a lot of builds ran two copies of Starfish. So the nerf to Starfish was significant to Ram Druid's prospects, and, uh, and I can tell. Now, when it comes to Guff, it is still the best card in the deck. Like, make no Jeez. mistake about it. It, it's still the best card in the deck, despite suffering. I don't know. On average, this is a four or five mana nerf to the, with the hero power. How many times you click that button in the average game when you draw Guff? So this is a huge nerf, and yet Guff is still the best card. It's just not as stupidly powerful as it used to be. It's just not as big of an outlier as it used to be. It they they definitely leveled it a bit. It's more reasonable now, though it's still the best card in the deck, which tells you all you need to know on whether there was justification for Guff. So when it comes to people saying Guff dead or no, Guff is still one of the best cards in Hearthstone. It's just not as dumb as it used to be. But the nerf is definitely 
can definitely be justified considering you made such a hard nerf to the card and it's still the best card in ram turret um but yeah ram turret much worse tier three maybe after some refinement some work it can look a little bit better but i think it's no longer going to be um like the dominant pillar of the format that that it was uh before the pad it like late game dominance i definitely see some some loss of percentages there in late game matchups because of the guff nerf so definitely the the nerf did what it needed to do Second expansion in a row where they made a nerf to a druid deck that people thought was nowhere near enough and it actually ended up being pretty impactful. Um, I was worried that this wasn't enough, but it seemed like it would. Like, so far, it really seems like it's made a dent. I wasn't too worried. I was a little bit concerned about the fact that druid is now, like, the only class that can brand an Athreus, but it seems okay. Druid is is, is still fine, but but it's definitely weaker now, and uh, yeah. Now, Agro Druid is also weaker. Not weaker because it got nerfed. You'd consider the sm Smothering Starfish to be a buff for that particular deck. But a nerf to Ramp Druid is a nerf to Agro Druid. Yeah, we know why Agro Druid was good before the patch. It was mostly because of the popularity of Ram Druid. It was a hard counter, so if Ram Druid falls off in play... That affects Agrodruid's performance. And Agrodruid's, uh, you know, matchup spread uh, isn't that great outside of the Ramdruid matchup, though it's good against Relic Demon Hunter, which is another popular deck, which keeps Agrodruid in a good spot. Like, it's a, it's one of the better decks in the format, but it's weaker now. I expect as the meta continues to settle and refine that its win rate is going to be knocked over further. Um... But you do have to remember that nerf mage also got nerfed, and that was kind of a counter to aggro druid. So that kind of offsets some of the losses uh, from from the ram druid decline in popularity. But I think that overall bottom line, the deck is going to be worse than it used to be. It used to be like its win rate was nuts, right before the patch, because ram druid was so popular. But now I think it's going to be more reasonable. There are definitely ways to combat it, and there are a lot of matchups that are close. Or maybe Agrodruid is slightly unfavored. So the deck is not going to be very overwhelming. It is very popular, though. Uh, I think part of the reason why it stayed popular is because Ramdruid is still highly played. And because it's slightly favored against Relic DH. Also, because it's cheap. It's inexpensive to make. And I think it's a really big deal in a shifting format when we're uh, like not too far from the mini set. Yeah. I'm not surprised that, that people true. are still playing the deck that isn't too expensive to make. And there is not a less expensive deck to make than Agro Druid, and it's totally okay. Plus, I think a lot of its uh, popularity will depend on, do people pick up Naga Priest? Which they probably should, but they may not anyway, because we've seen a historical aversion to that deck's popularity. Yeah. Speaking of Naga Priest, let's get to Priest, because Priest also rose in play after the patch. Uh, it's, it's, they're like four archetypes. Uh, the four archetypes here, you're familiar with them from before the patch, right? You got Quest Priest. Quest Priest definitely got worse. Um, it's not a huge surprise why it got worse because, you know, its whole point was countering Rogue, right? And Team 5 countered Rogue for them. Yeah, if there's less Rogues in the format, why would you play Quest Priest? It's not particularly good against most things. Like, it's good against Agrodroid, but again, it's not like... Agrodruid is the entire format. Uh, so why would you play Quest Priest? There's actually not a great reason. 
the Relic DH matchup is very poor, and that will probably drive the popularity of this deck down pretty fast. Yeah, the, the Relic DH matchup is horrible. We're talking about something like worse than uh, 3070. It's uh, somewhere between 25 and 30% win rate against Relic DH for Quest Priest. That's rough. But people play uh, love playing Quest Priest. The, the deck's play rate 7-8% throughout most of ladder. Uh, that's very popular for a deck that's barely tier 3. People just really want to play Quest Priest. Uh, and this is what they're doing, but they're not winning that much. Uh, because the deck is not very good. However, Proactive Priest decks look a lot better. Uh, specifically, Naga Priest looks straight up insane. How insane is Naga Priest right now? Think about it like this. We nerfed Starfish, right? So that's big. We nerfed Rogue, which was one of the counters. Uh, Wild Pano is a big counter to Naga Priest. And we didn't touch Priest itself. They nerfed Mage. We nerfed Mage as well. We nerfed No, Mage they did well. touch Priest. They buffed it. They buffed School Teacher. Yes. So Naga Priest was one of the only decks that already played School Teacher as a 4-3 just to have two Serpent Wig procs. This was one of our findings early on when it came to Naga Priest of this expansion that you still want to play School Teacher even as a 4-3. So now, not only did Naga Priest got favorable nerfs, it got buffed. One of its most important cards is now more survivable. You can play it turn four. You have a four health minion. That's pretty good. And Naga Priest looks insane. Uh, it looks like the best deck in the game from Diamond to Top Legend. It is the best performer in the format. It's actually not even particularly close when it comes to Legend. It just you know, shoots off uh, compared to the rest of the field. We're looking at a deck that has a win rate, potentially 57% win rate, something crazy like that. Um, I would say there are two decks that are above and beyond the rest right now. Naga Priest is one of them. We'll talk about the other later, but Naga Priest looks nutty. Uh, its matchup spread is really good. Think about what it does. It beats Ram Druid. It beats Relic DH. It beats uh, Warlock. It beats Agro Druid. So it beats the aggressive decks very well. But it also beats two of the most popular decks in the format, which is Ram Druid and Relic the Age. And doesn't really lose to things very hard. It's it's uh, like it's bigger. One of its bigger counters is like Quest Priest. And Quest Priest is not expected to be a significant player in the meta. So Naga Priest. Looks like has a really good matchup spread, counters some of the more popular decks in the format, and doesn't really lose heart to anything, which results in an insane win rate. But Naga Priest's play rate is something like 2%. <laughs> has like something around a 2% play rate. And we know that people are just not interested in playing this archetype. I wonder if people become more interested in playing this archetype when they realize that this is the number one deck in the format. This is the highest win rate deck in the format. And uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, Didn't happen with Liberum Paladin uh, two years ago. And this reminds no. me a lot of Liberum Paladin. 
I, uh, Liban Paladin was more popular when it was at its peak. It was less popular at Top Legend, that is true. But Liban Paladin was still very popular and was still very good at Top Legend as well. Back in the Libroom days, uh, you remember, with uh, Penflinger as well. So, oh, wow, Naga Priest is low everywhere, though. You're right. It's like under 2% at most of ladder. Liban Paladin was super popular on throughout ladder. It only declined a little bit at top legend, and even there it was good. I'm talking about deck with a 2% play rate. Liban Paladin was nowhere near 2%. This is a deck that barely sees play, but it's by far the best deck in the game. So what's going to happen now? Are we going to see more Naga Priest? Are we going to see significant play? But I do think, I do think, that if you want a deck to be best in terms of performance, having a deck with such a low play rate is probably the best candidate to be the best deck, right? Because if if this is the best performing deck, but not a lot of people play it, is it an issue? No, it's not. You don't need to nerf such a deck. It's like uh, it's like Highlander Hunter and Darkmoon Fair. It's a more extreme example of Highlander Hunter because Highlander Hunter was still more popular than this deck. This deck yes. barely sees play. You don't need to touch it. It can have a 60% win rate for all I care. If it has a 1% player, then who cares, right? It doesn't affect anyone. The people who like playing it are rewarded for it, right? But if nobody wants to play it, then why, why would you nerf this deck? There's no reason. So this is fine. Team 5, listen to him. Don't touch my wigs. Leave them right where they are. And I'm definitely not saying it because I care about what Hat likes. I don't. No. But <laughs> since when have you cared about what I but, like? Yeah, but uh, but the point is that like, if this deck was 15% of the format, it wouldn't have this win rate. Part of the reason why it has such a high win rate is it's low play rate. Nobody needs to counter it. Nobody cares to counter it. You don't need to worry yourself again. Like you could once in. 50 games and you lose to it because you're ill-equipped to deal with it but it's not going to make you want to counter it suddenly or play a deck that specifically does well against it and those decks exist there's just no benefit to countering naga priest right now uh and you know another deck that's quite similar to naga priest is blast priest you know the one with the power word fortitude and stuff and this deck is also performs pretty well Though it's nowhere near as good as Naga Priest. It, it's nowhere near. So, like, if... if And that deck is also mostly a top legend thing. So, uh, which is also something that happened, you know, before the patch. Like, Bless Priest was mostly a deck that top legend players saw play, uh, like, played and saw success with. But it wasn't very good outside of that. Naga Priest is good everywhere. It's good everywhere. It's good at top legend. It's good at bottom legend. It's good at diamonds. Good at platinum. Good everywhere. It's just like an insanely good deck right now. So if you don't mind playing Naga Priest and you don't, you're not repulsed by its strategy or play patterns or whatever, then this is one of the easiest client to legend you can have. Like just play it and it just like it's just gonna farm the field right now because I can definitely see that it's farming the field. Um. So yeah, Naga Priest, very, very good. Best deck in the format based on its performance right now. Super underplayed. Probably going to stay underplayed. We'll see to what extent. Uh, Boar Priest is the fourth Priest deck. And thankfully, it, it doesn't look like a, like a threat. It's not even good at Top Legend right now. Um, no matter what Pocket Train says, right? Pocket Train it's, is not the, it's, it, an Pocket objective. Train is good. And he plays Boar Priest, but the deck is not good. That's because of who's piloting it. 
I mean, he's an expert board priest. He performs better with board priests than anyone else. Potentially. He performs better with most decks other... than most people. Yes, but but even if you gave Pocket Train a specific like board priest buff, the fact is board priest does not produce results in a significant sample size, even amongst top legend players. It just doesn't seem to be very good. Um so yeah, um so far right now it's it, it looks like the worst priest deck. It performs even worse than Quest Priest at top legend. Like it's it's nowhere near. So that's it for priest. Again, Naga Priest, if you want to have an easy climb to legend, this is the deck you play. It's it's easy. It's just easy. The win rate is just so high. That deck is just gonna push itself, push you, carry you to legend. Um Really high win rate, but cool. Okay, uh, Rogue. Let's talk a little bit about Rogue. So Rogue suffered a nerf to Edwin, uh, a reversion, right? Uh, at this point, it seems pretty clear to me that Edwin Rogue is going to be mostly a top legend choice. Uh, this deck is now very pretty weak outside of that specific population, uh, it gets better as you climb the ranks, right? It starts to, like, once you get to Legend rank, uh, Diamond 1 of 4 on the climb, it starts to ink into Tier 3 territory. And then maybe a top Legend, it can get to Tier 2 range. The deck is still good and viable, but we've talked about the skill scaling on the deck. Like, uh, it, it performs better at higher levels of play in multiple matchups. We saw it before the patch. Definitely shaping up to be the case here as well. But now, instead of being a Tier 1 deck, it's barely tier two at its peak potential right so uh the deck is still viable you can definitely play it have success with it if you know what you're doing but its power level is down across the board um and if you're not a high mmr player the def the deck definitely is much worse and not recommended but is that all for rogue not really because if you do want to play a different rogue deck and you build it well keyword build it well then thief rogue is back are we renathaling are we renathaling so here's the thing i can only see renathal builds i see nothing else i can't even compare the two so while i will say okay the builds that i'm talking about are the renathal thief rogue and renathal thief rogue looks good i have no idea what non renathal thief rogue does because there's nothing on ladder everything is just renathal uh, I think Bunny Hopper is one of the streamers that has played a lot of this deck. But point is, if you build it well, the problem with Thief Rogue is that at lower ranks of ladder, like bronze through gold and stuff like that, lower MMRs, people like to play bad cards in Thief Rogue. Things like Swash Burglar, Hench Clan Burglar, you know, Vanessa. They play Parlay. Parlay is a card that sees a lot of play at lower MMR in Thief Rogue. It's it's not good. These cards are not good. If you play the more curated jackpot build with uh with Shroud, right? And Trickster, then that build performs much better. So Thief Rogue's win rate at low ranks aggregated down by bad builds. At high levels of play, it's more curated, so it performs better. It, it it does have an above average skill ceiling. Like it, it, it's above average when it comes to how skill intensive it is. 
But that's not the main reason why it performs better at higher levels of play. As long as you take the de- the build that makes sense, which is not the bad Burgle cards, and you know running something akin to the Bonnie Hopper build, uh, then you can do well. It's not super powerful. It ranges between tier two and three, but it's better than it was before the patch for sure. Before the patch, there was some, there were hype fumes about Thiefrog being good, but it wasn't. But now it's actually fine. So you don't have to play Edwin Rogue in order to play Rogue. Rogue is kind of back and competitive through other means, which is which is Thief Rogue. Obviously, there's also um, Bomb Rogue. Though Bomb Rogue is a deck that doesn't see uh, much play. It's definitely viable and competitive, and you can play it and have success with it. It's just its play rate is like 1% or something. And Shark Rogue, you know, the other Miracle Rogue that is now a dumpster before the patch is what it was inching into it was like tier three at top legend it was it's like the hardest deck in the format to play and after the edwin buff its performance reached the point where it was actually viable and competitive play with uh robot wizard having success with it hitting number one legend with that with the list without auctioneer that by the way turns out to be correct it was correct to cut auctioneer so you have that robot wizard but uh, now it's dumpster. I'm sorry. After the Edwin nerf, it's 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 dumpster. The uh, the Edwin was really important, especially when you cut auctioneers. So that's it's hard to no emphasize how deck warping the Edwin buff was because it really like yeah, yeah. E- every rogue deck just went all in on just Edwin all the time and Shroud just to go find it. So every single game got worse with it multiple times because they would all shadow step the Edwin. Yeah. And now Edwin is, it's just not, I talked about it, but the, 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 the buff to Edwin was not a one mana buff. It was essentially a two mana buff because very often in games, you would shadow step the Edwin and play it again. So you would spell, you would spend four mana on two Edwins while now you have to spend six. So it's, it's essentially a two mana nerf or buff, which way you look at it. But now Edwin is a more reasonable card and Edwin Rogue needed Edwin to not be a reasonable card in order to be as powerful as it was. So yeah, so Rogue is fine, definitely fine. Uh, both of its archetypes, main archetypes, Thief and Edward, Edwin, Rogue are in a healthy place in terms of power level, and I expect them to stay around that part. But mostly at higher levels of play, Edwin because of skill, uh, Thief because partially skill, but mostly build related. Okay. Warlock, Warlock time. Okay, Warlock. Uh, I remember launch of the expansion. There were like three builds. Uh, we had the Sea Giant build, we had the Curse build, and we had the Denathrius Kelthus build. Sea Giant build fell off after the library nerf. Kelthus now got nerfed, so the Denathrius build is kind of dead. Uh, with Merlocula that went all in on Kelthas. That was probably the deck that was most reliant on Kelthas. Uh, and it, it it didn't even use Kelthas majorly because of brand interaction. It was just scam with Gigafin and Denathrius on turn six with uh, Merlocula and stuff like that. A great example as to why Kelthas deserved to be nerfed. He was only used for evil. Yeah, basically, yeah. Just scam. So now we we're left with one build. That's it's curse good. time. 
which is it's curse time. Yeah. Now, not only is the curse build the most competitive, it's the best by far. It's really, really powerful in the current format. The curse build like shot up in its performance because of this patch. And Imp Warlock looks like one of the better decks in the format. Um, looks very, very good, very impressive. Throughout ladder, including high level as a play, including top legend, um, the curse build delivers. And this is uh, the recommended build. Uh, I would go with the 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 more defensive approach um, without Bartender and Voidwalker and with uh, Touch of the Nathrezim because Imp Warlock wants to go late game with Tams and Rome and Bran. Like it, you're basically you're basically a Curse Warlock that plays Imps yeah. rather than an Imp Warlock that plays Curses. And uh, in a lot of matchups, the way you win is by just cursing the opponent. And it's almost like the imps are a distraction. Like, you, it helps you fight for the board and stuff. Well, and it fuels your two mana draw six or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's important for your impending cap- catastrophe, but it, it's kind of a curse deck. And you don't really want to run curses without imps because curse builds that are, like, slow and, like, removal-focused and, and stuff like that really do not compare in their performance to the to the imp build. It's nowhere near. They're like it's it's the difference between one of one of the better decks in the format and being unplayable garbage. So yeah. So Warlock, unfortunately one viable deck. It's essentially one viable deck because I'm not seeing anything with Phylactery that impresses me. Um but the curse build is very impressive. Uh, I am impressed by it and I think it's very good. Uh not much to say about that. There's no, there's no need to change the builds. Shaman, so Shaman, I think is performing to the level where, where it's pretty obvious to me at this point that Snowfall Guardian should have been nerfed in this patch, um, because when you nerf Guardian alongside Mage and Druid, right, and alongside the Mage and Druid, Shaman is viable again, because. It doesn't need Snowfall Guardian to compete in a late game uh, anymore. Uh, and Control Shaman is back to being the deck that's like 50-50 against everything. You look at its matchup spread. I'm sure you have. One of the least polarizing decks I've ever seen. Like, it basically has matchups between 45 and 55% win rate against the large majority of decks in the field. Like, almost every deck in the game, almost every deck, plays against Control Shaman, has a win rate between 45% and 55% against it. This deck is the epitome of, I can beat everything and I can lose everything. If you want a deck that just okay against everything, it's Control Shaman. Now, that means that Control Shaman isn't an elite deck, but it's definitely competitive and viable. It's definitely back to being a deck that looks like a reasonable choice. Before the patch, there was no good reason to play it other than insisting on playing Control Shaman. But now, this deck, you can do well against everything with it. I think this is a deck that a lot of pro players will like because of it. Because it feels like when you have a lot of 50-50 matchups, you feel like you can win by outplaying your opponent. If you're consistently making better decisions than your opponent, this deck is going to look very good for you. Because... You can outplay anyone. Every deck has a reasonable matchup against Control Shaman. I'm not even sure what the worst matchup is. Like, I don't even see anything that's that deep in the red. 
but I don't see anything that's that deep in the green. Yeah, the worst matchup for Control Shaman is a 45% win rate matchup. Like, there's no... You you can't counter it, but it really doesn't beat anything. It doesn't really keep anything down, which is kind of similar to what it was before the Snowfall Guardian Earth. But with, the, with Snowfall Guardian, it was more powerful. It was definitely more powerful. So now it's back to being viable, a deck that's very, very flat in terms of win rates across the board, and you can play it, have fun with it, do well with it, but you need to outplay your opponents to some degree in order to have good winning rates with it. Um, but it, it's a very nice deck. It's a it's a good deck, very healthy deck in the format. Now it doesn't even have Snowfall Guardian, so uh, in terms of play patterns, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing, uh, actually. I approve. I'm a fan. So listen, no Snowfalls, yes Glugs, I'm here for it. Okay, uh, now here's the thing. It also got buffed. Why did it get buffed? Because now school it runs School Teacher. teacher. Welcome back. Yep. School Teacher is a card that uh, Shaman naturally wanted to run because it was running brand anyway. So School Teacher is getting back. There is a popular bis- build, I think, Meaty hit number one legend with Control Shaman. He really likes Crud Caretakers, he really likes that card. I don't love that card that much, especially when you don't run two Devourers. My recommendation, run two Devourers. It really doesn't matter what the 40th card is, but I cannot see a world where you're playing against Relic DH and you don't run Devourers. Devourer is the great equalizer in that matchup because the whole point of Control Shaman versus Relic DH, if you don't run Devourers, you're going to be unfavored. You're going to be unfavored against Relic DH. And I think part of the reason Control Shaman's current win rate against Relic DH is something 46%, close to 45% win rate. And that's pretty much because the popular list of Control Shaman runs one Devourer. And in the late game, you need to be able to answer Relic of Phantasms. You need to be able to answer that. And Devourer allows you to do that. You don't really have another way to deal with like a couple of 8-8s or 9-9s. So... Devour is your win condition in that matchup, and it's really important to have it. So I highly recommend you guys to run two. Uh, cut a uh, probably cut a crud caretaker. You can cut another one for something else. I'm not sure. The 40th card is still a mystery to me. I'll figure it out tomorrow, but uh, definitely run two devours. High recommendation to run that. That's probably going to improve the deck, especially in the performance against Demon Hunter. So. Control Shaman, very good. Um, is is definitely back. The nerfs to Druid and Mage uh, w- was what helped it uh, be competitive again. If they nerfed Shaman alongside Druid and Mage, then you wouldn't have had the problem that you did in the last balance patch. Wait, Murloc Shaman? Is there any Murloc Shaman? Is that a thing? Mm, not really. Not really seeing much of Murloc Shaman. Uh, and it's probably... Like, maybe only good at lower ranks of ladder, but I would be surprised if it has anywhere near close to a positive win rate once you get to, like, diamond ranks. Okay. Now let's talk about Mage. Yeah. Um, Mage got nerfed. Uh, Those nerfs definitely hurt uh, both Big Spell Mage and Spooky Mage. Uh, Big Spell Mage seems to be handling it better. Uh, Big Spellman still seems to have a positive win rate. Win rate. Uh, it's still like a tier 2-ish deck. Spooky Mage is struggling a little bit more. 
uh, seems to sink into tier three range. But again, this is a situation where I wouldn't I wouldn't say that mage is is gone because what I'm seeing is that the nerfs may have altered what the deck wants to do, and it's very possible, especially when it comes to the thirty card build that we need to approach deck building differently, and I don't currently have the answers. I don't. But it seems to me like it's very likely that this deck can refine itself, Spooky Mage can refine itself to a better spot. So I definitely wouldn't say that the nerf killed Mage nowhere near. And if you want a good Mage deck right now, then Big Spell Mage looks pretty good. right? Now. It's worse than it was before. It's no longer like a tier one deck at Diamond Ranks, no. But it is a good deck. It's a decent deck. It definitely is competitive and viable. Spooky, we'll see. We'll see what we'll do with Spooky Mage. Uh, I'm not really sure because there's not a lot of experimentation with like changing the the deck's nature, right? I mean, the deck was built around the broken cards. It was just, it, you planned on winning with Dawngrass most of the time. So when Dawngrass gets nerfed, of course the deck is worse. You're still going to win through Dawngrass. The question is, like, is is slowing down that win condition possibly altering what the deck, like maybe the deck wants a better backup plan. Maybe the deck wants more stalling. I'm not sure what the answer is, but... I would say that it's possible that the deck, that Spooky Mage can do some tweaks and adjust and do better, especially when you when you think about this key component, which is that the meta is so different. Like maybe the way that Spooky Mage comes back is just adjusts its build to the current opponents that it sees. Because previously it saw a very different field. What did you see? You only saw like rogues and druids and priests and that was it. And a lot of ranks. Or like a bit of warlocks and a little bit of hunters and that's it. And now you see demon hunters, right? You're seeing um, you're seeing more priests, uh, different types of priests. You're seeing different types of rogue. You're seeing thief rogues compared to Edwin rogues. Those are very different matchups. You're seeing more warlocks with curses. That's a different matchup. Even the occasional hunter here and there. Yeah, like, and I expect that the meta meta will continue to to change over time. So maybe Spooky Mage just needs to adjust itself to the changing field. Uh, I'm not sure what it needs to do, but I have a suspicion that it's better than it looks. Yeah. You know, and and I mentioned Hunter. We should probably talk about that class because there's some stuff going on there. Yeah, uh, Hunter is is definitely... Well, it depends, okay? Beast Hunter. <laughs> Remember when I said there are top two top performers in the format? There's Naga Priest. Well, the second one is Beast Hunter. So we've reached the point hat. We're in Sunken City. They nerfed everything, and Beast Hunter became the best deck. And now again, we nerfed everything, and Beast Hunter looks like one of the best decks. Uh, alongside Naga Priest, it is the a top performer on ladder. Uh, it's it looks crazy good. Like its matchup spread looks insane. Now I know that its skill ceiling is low. And I know that it's likely going to decline its performance. But look at its matchup spread, hat. Even if it declines a little bit. Like, it's a deck that, like, its matchup spread is very similar to Control Shaman. 
But instead of being 50-50 against everything, it feels like it's 55-45 against everything. Okay, so <laughs> it's- I'm I'm on HS Replay right now. I went to Beast Hunter and I filtered by matchups. I'm looking for a red number. There are no red numbers. Everything there here is, is above 50%. Is. If you look but- at... No, if you look at VS Gold, you can clearly see that a matchup like Imporlock is like one of the deck's more difficult matchups, right? Wow, this VS Gold side is great. You know, more yeah, people should does. sign up for it, that. It does it does seem great. So it it really um it, it's difficult to counter. There isn't like a deck that like you play and this is going to reliably beat Beast Hunter because they nerfed everything. So suddenly this deck looks pretty good. Like the biggest change is like you look at the Ramp Druid matchup. This matchup used to be really bad for Beast Hunter. And suddenly well, Beast Hunter is slightly favored. And all you did is nerf Guff and Starfish. Right? This is what you did. Is there anything else I'm missing? No. That That's it. Now I do wonder. I do wonder. I don't even think Beast Hunter is refined. Like it's it's obviously refined for the previous format. Uh, with the build that we figure out pretty early. But I would say it's very likely that there you could make some tweaks and change like even five cards and maybe make that deck even better. I don't know. Uh, people don't really experiment in Hunter much. We know that. After the first week, like there's a there's a big stasis in developments when it comes to the class. But if Beast, if Beast Hunter rises in popularity because it's so good, right? Then that makes it more likely that we'll see some experimentation. Now, this is a deck that pros disrespect. The story is so similar to Naga Priest here. It's slightly more popular, but only slightly. No, I think that pros even respect Naga Priest more than they respect this deck. Like, Beast Hunter is a deck that um, has a bad reputation because of its uh, below-average skill ceiling. But even a top legend, this deck is, looks really, really good. Even a top legend right now. It looks really good. It will it will drop. It will drop. But to what extent? It can drop in its win by 5% and will still be a tier 2 deck. That's how good it is right now. Uh, yeah. So Beast Hunter very looks very, very powerful. I recommend the build that we have, the pre-patch build on, on our website. But there are definitely... Like, I'm not sure we need to run Samuro anymore. I'm not sure we need to run, like, Samuro Kennels package. Not sure about that, whether that's necessary, whether we can improve on that. I'm not sure about the one-drop package with uh, K9 Tron. Maybe we can do something better than that. There's some stuff that we can do. We can change in the stack. Uh, I don't know. Um, but yeah, but it looks really good. The, the current iteration is still looks super good. I expect it to fall off. It always does. But even if it falls off, again, 5% is win rate. It's still going to be competitive. Okay, so that's Beast Hunter. Face Hunter is also okay. It is worse um, than Beast Hunter, but being worse than Beast Hunter is not a shameful thing. It's still one of the best decks in the format when it comes to the Clan Legend. Uh, Face Hunter looks far better than it was before the patch. Uh, definitely one of the top choices to climb with. Uh, I would say it is still worse than Beast Hunter, so why would you play Face Hunter when you can play a better Hunter deck, but it performs well. It has a very low play rate, however. Quest Hunter, 
if it weren't nerfed, would be disgusting. Thankfully, it did get nerfed. Um, and its current performance is very reasonable and kind of on the low side. I would say it's tier 3 at most rank brackets now. If it wasn't nerfed, it would probably be tier 1 very safely. Uh, you can say that because the nerf to the first phase is the hardest nerf they could make. I wanted to nerf two procs just to make sure it's dead. <laughs> I just, uh, I was a little bit, you know, uh, overzealous when it comes to suggesting quest on a nerf because I was terrified of this deck. But then if you make a nerf, then nerfing a proc in the first phase is the biggest change. Like it's more significant than nerfing the final phase, for example. It's very noticeable playing against that deck. Really, really noticeable. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a big nerf. If they didn't make this nerf, this deck would be so much more powerful. It would be really, really good. Um, thankfully, it isn't. So Quest Hunter is unlikely to be a major component in the format. Uh, though it still it still looks viable. It still looks somewhat competitive. It can be a role player in certain circumstances. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a deck that seems okay, uh, but it's it's not like it's not comparable to like Beast Hunter or Face Hunter. These are the superior hunter decks right now. Okay, uh, we have two what's more the classes. Next class. What's Warrior? Yeah, we have oh the Warrior and the Paladins of the world. So Warrior, Warrior is actually really interesting because the the nerf to Smothering Starfish is a very significant for Enrage Warrior. Uh, I'm seeing, like, matchups where Enrage Warrior would, like, improved on significantly. For example, the Ram Druid matchup, you pretty much comes down to the fact that Starfish was nerfed. Like, Enrage Warrior, I don't think it could beat... Like, it did okay against Ram Druid, but you see a spike in its performance against Ram Druid because of the... Guff nerf and the smothering starfish nerf. So now it, it soundly beats a deck like Ram Druid. It also does fine against Relic Demon Hunter. So those are two of the most popular decks in the format and does okay against them. I'm not sure if Enrage Warrior becomes a player in a settled field, but it looks better. It now looks between the tier three and the tier two. Maybe it ends up falling into tier three after the metal slows down. But it looks viable. It looks like a deck that's no longer embarrassing that you can you can kind of play. It was always close. It was already close to that slot before the balance changes and after the buffs. But now it's a deck that can definitely work. It definitely can be competitive and you can have success with it. I think there's also some stuff to do with refinement. I'm definitely noticing some disparities in the performance of the best builds and the worst builds. So maybe tomorrow I'll figure out a way to make Enrage Warriors, you know, settle in the tier two range rather than the tier three range. But this is a deck that we can talk about now. This is this is a real deck. But that's not all, Hat. That is not all. I can't believe what I'm seeing, but I'm seeing it. Yeah, you are seeing it. And that is the return of to the front Galvanger Faceless Manipulator, Battlegrounds Battlemaster, uh, Combo Charge Warrior. And there's this new build that runs uh, Sanguine Depths with Executes and Slams. 
and you have accolade of pain so you have a lot of card draw this deck draws very very fast very very fast and if you draw very very quickly you're gonna get your combo pieces and you're gonna be ready to go and kill your opponent and this deck looks pretty decent um like just just for context before this patch any kind of warrior deck that had ran frozen buckler right would have a win rate in the very low 40s or even 30s and now i'm seeing a deck that has a win rate close to 50 percent. that is a significant change and this deck also i think gets better high levels of play significantly better because it seems to have an above average skill ceiling at least my current impression still very low sample size when it comes to low sample size decks i need to there's there needs to be more time for me to figure out exactly where it's situated but i have a suspicion that this is one of these kind of decks with high skill cap and it seems to perform pretty well so it's not just Enrage Warrior that seems to be coming back, or not coming back, but emerging. But if you want to do well with Frozen Buckler and Shield Chatter again, I refer you to the Combo Charge Warrior build with Battlegrounds Battlemaster and Faceless Manipulators. Uh, very interesting. I don't even know what the origin of this build is. I remember seeing it on Twitter, but I don't remember who made it. But yeah, this deck seems good. Seems good enough uh, to survive. Uh, yeah, and it pretty much kill. It kills opponents on turn nine. Hat this deck draws very very fast. Yes, though I will say I played a little bit of it. You know what deck doesn't love seeing Theatar? It's this, this one. Yeah, <laughs> you, it's. I have gotten my Battle Master taken a couple times. It sucks. Yeah, though you can still win even if they take like a faceless. Obviously, you can't win if they take your Galvanger, and uh, I would say Battlegrounds Battlemaster is pretty breaking as well. Yeah, Theodore sucks with this deck, but but this deck does draw very quickly. If you don't get your Theodore early enough, you you can be dead on turn nine. It doesn't even have the hand space to run double Fortune Flame most of the time. It's a fascinating deck to see in action. Yeah, it has a lot of cycle. Has a lot of draw. And uh, it just powers through. For some reason, it runs Queen Najara. You can double it to the front, I guess. I guess it's for that. That does seem to be a strange application. I guess it adds consistency, and it's kind of an alternative win condition. Yeah, I mean, you can just make a Colossal if you want to make a Colossal, but also you can double to the front. I mean, you you can make a Colossal and Faceless it. For some Colossals, that's really good, right? Leviathan, you Faceless the Leviathan. It's kind of funny. Yeah. It's, I'm sure there are ways where you can do some goofy things with it. It seems a little but odd. But you can to also me, but... run. You, this deck also runs Grom, though. So it even does. if you take the Galvanger away, even if you take the Galvanger away, you can still die to Grom. Uh, especially when, like, you run Sanguine Depths. So you have the, the pre equipped, like, the pre placed Sanguine Depths, and you Grom, you enrage it with two to the front. You can deal some damage with it. It's more restrictive because it's more expensive, but. You can still OTK people with that. So yep. interesting. Interesting. This deck uh, seems to work. There's seems some cool stuff work. going on. So since you found some magical uh, warrior stuff, you must have found some magical paladin stuff too, right? Right? Yeah. Star Wars meme. Um, 
Which Star Wars? Not name? really. You know the Star Wars with Anakin. Oh yeah. And, uh, I forgot her name honestly. Padme. 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 Yeah. Natalie Portman. That's how I remember her by. But anyway. Yes. Paladin. No. 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 I mean, it, it got better. Like pure Paladin with Bannerman as a tutu is better than it was before. But it's just it's it's not enough. It's not going to be enough. And any other paladin deck looks like a joke, and paladin is still not really a class. So, and Aleko commented on this. Aleko very clearly commented on this, tweeted, and said, "Listen, making a buff doesn't mean we believe we've solved all the problems with a class." And they specifically say they believe paladin needs new cards, but Bannerman is a high confidence change we can make to the class, which we believe will make the game more fun. So we did it. There's not much more to it than that. This this was not a belief that this is going to fix everything Paladin's doing. Just like, let them have a little something more because they're going to need it. They started to use the term high confidence change a lot, right? This this is like the term that they started to come up with uh, with this balance patch. You see this in multiple um, uh, instances. They talk about Theotar, high confidence, high confidence, right? Uh, this seems to be this term that they came up after figuring out what's what's happening with the meta. And if you can translate it a little bit, I would say that maybe they recognize that the first balance patch was a mistake because they made a low confidence change with the Snowfall Guardian nerf and maybe the additional nerf as well because they had less information what was going to happen, what was going to transpire after nerfing such an important component of the format, right? In Guardian. But when you have, when you make a balance, the second balance change, you're equipped with more information. And it almost feels like in this balance page, they were almost too scared to nerf some things. Like the Theotar thing, the aversion to nerf Theotar is one example. But I do think that overall, this balance patch looks much better. When I saw it, I knew it was going to lead to a better format. And it does, like, we're seeing a more diverse field. There is no class in the game, Hat. There's no class in the game, I suspect, that by next week we'll have a 20% play rate anywhere. Like, I think Druid will eventually fall below 20%, even if it stays around that mark. Not too bad, because it's two It's basically two decks rather than one. There's a diverse field of, of of decks. The most successful decks don't even see much play. You're looking at Naga Priest with a 2% play rate. Beast Hunter right now, I think, sees around 5% play rate at most rank brackets. So the meta is far from settled. Uh, and the best decks are not nowhere near popular enough. And you're seeing nine classes have viable decks. And most of these classes have more than one viable deck. So that increases the chances. As I said, diverse format. Why is it good? You're running into the specific decks less often. You're less likely to be annoyed by them. Less grievances generated by each deck. In addition to that, if you have a diverse field of decks, you are more likely to find a deck that you like. Right? If there are three, four decks in the format and maybe even some of them are similar, an average player is less likely to find something that they specifically like. But if there are lots of different decks, you're likely to find something that you like. For example, Hat found something that 
he likes. A um, few things. Which is a few things that play one drops and stuff. Um, strangely, I haven't found something that I love yet, but maybe I'll find it tomorrow. Maybe it's Relic DH with Phelan. I don't know, Hat. Uh, maybe that's going to make me play. But um, but yeah, there's just lots of different decks with different play styles. And it seems like the balance change has succeeded in diversifying the format. I really wish they would have nerfed Theotar to really make that balance change a uh, balance patch a 10 out of 10. But it's going to happen next patch for sure. Based and on- this meta, it looks... Like it looks pretty solid from my perspective. It's it's worth noting. I don't anticipate this meta being around for more than three and a half weeks maximum. It depends when the mini set is coming. Yeah, the mini set. The mini set is coming. Uh, uh, like this format is going to be diverse, more balanced, more uh, even across the board, and then the mini set cut will come and ruin everything. No, I'm just kidding. But I expect the mini set. I have a sneaking suspicion that we're going to see some overpowered Paladin cards in that mini set. Uh, we'll see what happens. But for now, we have this set, and uh, this format, and it's not too bad. Lots of options, so pick whatever you like. And it's le- very likely that you'll find something that you like. And it's good. These balance changes did good. Yes. I'm having fun. My biggest problem is that I don't have enough time to play... I, I don't have enough time to play both standard and battlegrounds, and that's a really big issue right now. So, gonna work on that. Uh, but that means if we want to get more time back, we gotta end the recording of the show. Had quite a bit to talk about this week. We'll be back this weekend, so you get a short turnaround between podcasts this time. But thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Thank you so much to all of our supporters, VS Gold, VS Silver, Patreon members, everyone who subbed and supported. You're wonderful. You can look forward to the next report on Thursday at our normal time. Podcast over the weekend at our normal time should be Saturday the 17th. Evil Dave, thank you so much for the podcast transcriptions. And Steven Sensei, thank you so much for the intro and outro. That'll do it, and we'll talk to you all soon. The Data Reaper Podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.